take out one of those cards that you see in front of you and fill that out. Uh, that's just so we can express our appreciation for you being here with us this morning. There are two little black boxes there in the back of the auditorium where you can place that uh, this morning. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Some would say being a Christian means being a lover of Jesus Christ. Some would say to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Some would say to be a Christian is one who is walking with God. And all of those would certainly be true. But one of the answers that I would give to that question is this. To be a Christian means to live in repentance. A Christian is one who is living a life in repentance. Repentance. Think about that word with me. It seems from a worldly perspective, uh, it seems kind of like a negative word. Uh, but really in reality, when we study the Bible's teaching on repentance, repentance is a very positive thing. Repentance is, the Bible describes it as a change of mind. It's a transformation of heart, a turning of the mind, a changing of the will. It's recognizing that there's a standard in which your life is not in sync with. There's a standard that your life has violated, that your, li that your life is not in line with, and it's a commitment to coming back to that standard. Repentance. Many people illustrate it this way. It's often illustrated as a man that's walking. He's walking in a particular direction, and he realizes that he's going the wrong way. And what does he do? He stops and immediately turns around, and he goes the opposite way from which he came. That's like repentance. It's turning and going the opposite direction. Repentance is when I apprehend the wrath that is to come and the overflowing mercy of God through Jesus Christ, and I turn and with godly grief and a hatred of sin, I turn from sin back to God, seeking to live according to His standard. Repentance. It's a turning from sin. But repentance, and this is the main idea that I want to hit upon this morning with you briefly. Repentance is not just a single action. Here, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, live faithfully, as we often say. But the Bible's teaching on repentance is not, it's not only a one-time event in your life that you do upon salvation, in the process of salvation. It's not just a one-time event in which I renounce my wicked ways and turn to God and then that's the end of repentance and then I'm done repenting. No, the way that the Bible describes repentance more clearly is that repentance is a way that you do life. Repentance is a lifestyle. Repentance is the way of a Christian. It's, the, it's a way of life. Now let me give you an illustration so we can wrap our minds around this. Pictured here on the screen is what's referred to as a super tanker. Uh, and some, some other people refer to it as an oil tanker. A, a giant ship that transports oil across the ocean. Now, some of these ships, I'm not sure about this particular ship, uh, but some of these kinds of ships, they're the largest mobile man-made structure on earth. Uh, there's, in fact, one of these kinds of, of vessels 
that's longer than the Empire State Building and weighs an incredible amount and can carry uh, um, just a tremendous amount of oil in, in, its, in its hold. Uh, these ships, they're so big and they weigh so much that when they want to stop, if they're going in the ocean and they want to come to a complete stop, it takes them three to six miles to stop as they're going throughout the ocean. And not only that, if they want to turn, if these giant ships want to slow down and turn and go the opposite direction from which they came, it will take them over a mile to do so. They have over a mile turn radius. Uh, so stopping one of these things is something that doesn't happen instantaneously. It, it, it takes time. It's a slow process. It's a gradual process of slowing down and then turning and then picking up speed and going in the opposite direction. That's kind of like repentance. Repentance is more like a super tanker, like one of these things that you see on the screen trying to slow down and go the other way. It's not, it's not this instantaneous event. It's a slow process of stopping, of turning, of transformation, and gaining speed and going the opposite way. We as Christians, we still struggle with sin. That's no secret, even after obeying the gospel. But the Spirit of God, the Bible teaches, works on our hearts as we keep in step in Him to bring us to a halt, to turn us around in the other direction and make us go the other way. The Christian life is lived in that turnaround. You are turning around while you are living in the here and now in Jesus Christ. We are being transformed. We are a people who are living in repentance. And the question that I want to ask this morning and what I want to us to explore and what we're, we're going to open the Bible here in a moment and see, the question that I want to ask is, what does that look like more specifically? What does it look like to live in repentance? What does it mean to live in repentance? Now, I believe we have some biblical insight beginning in Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 14. We're going to look at this passage that helps us to answer this most vital question. What does it look like to live in repentance? Turn with me there, Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Verse 8, rather. Verse 8 through 14. Verse 8 and 9 of Luke chapter 3 says this. This is John the Baptist. He says, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourself, Well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. Now this is John the Baptist as I mentioned before. And, and remember he's preparing the way 
for Jesus. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. He's speaking to the crowds that come to him out into the wilderness to hear him preach and, and be baptized. And he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? That means prove Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and you have turned to God. This tells us that there, there's, there's always evidence that bleeds out of one's character and actions when they are living in repentance. There should be proof. There should be evidence that an internal transformation of the heart has taken place. And John says in the passage, and, and don't even try to say, Jews, to the Jews, don't even try to say, oh, we have Abraham as our father. Don't even try to say, you know, we're God's chosen people. We're descended from Father Abraham. We're fine. We don't need to do what you say. John says, no. Don't even make any excuses. Don't make the excuse that, oh, I'm under the old covenant. I'm a, chosen, I'm a chosen one of God. We don't need to do what you say. John says, that means nothing. It means nothing. It doesn't matter if you're a member of God's chosen people. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew and under the covenant that God made with Moses at Mount Sinai. If there's no change in your life, if there's no fruit... On the outside, if you're not living in repentance, then you're fooling yourself into thinking that you're a member of God's family and that God is smiling upon you. That's John's message. God's holy wrath, he says, is like an axe. And don't think for one second that God won't cut down your tree if it fails to bear fruit, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So we see that one who's living this way, one who's living in repentance is one who is bearing fruit. One that displays evidence on the outside that a spiritual transformation is in the process of taking place on the inside. Now, what are those fruits? What are the fruits of repentance? What does it look like to live in repentance? Look with me in the passage. Look with me in verse 10 of Luke chapter 3. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Now, within this passage, starting in verse 10 through 14, we're introduced to three groups of people. And they come to John after hearing this message that we just uh, proclaimed. They all have the same question. They come to him and they, they say, what, what do we do? What shall we do? How do teach us how that we should respond to this message that has pricked our hearts. Remember in Acts chapter 2, remember Luke wrote Luke and Acts. 
You see in Acts chapter 2 in Peter's gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost as he preaches the name of Jesus and then tells pretty much everybody, look, you killed this Jesus, both Lord and Christ. You crucified him. You nailed him to a tree. And he was the Messiah and you killed him. And then the crowd, what do they do? They're pricked in their heart. And they ask this same question. What shall we do? What should our response be to this message that has caused us Godly grief. What shall we do? That's the question that they ask. And the first group here is the general crowd that comes to John in the wilderness. And John's response is this. What shall we do? Here's John's response. Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. John says, if you have a little more than you really need... If you, have, uh, if, you see, if you see your neighbor who's lacking, you have two tunics, you have two warm, snuggly, cuddly tunics, and you see your neighbor that's out in the cold that doesn't have anything, give him one of your tunics. Share with him who has none. Give him what you have. Likewise, he says, if you have more food than what you need, and you see your neighbor who has none, then give her what you have. This is the fruit of repentance. One of the fruits. This is what it looks like to live in repentance. It's having, displaying this kind of generous, this kind of generous spirit. It, it's, a, it's a kind of spirit that constantly says, what can I give how, how can I serve? What can I sacrifice so that another person can experience the same blessing that I have been given? And they live this way. They do these things. They sacrifice and sacrifice and give and, and give generously so much so because they have been so impacted by the generosity expressed to them in Jesus Christ. It's the outcome of their repentance. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, is rich beyond your wildest dreams. But He's so generous with his wealth, that he empties himself and becomes poor for your sake so that you might be rich in him. And to live in repentance, to live the way of repentance, it means to have tasted the sweetness of this gift of God's grace leading to the same kind of generosity that has been shown to you in Jesus Christ. I've known some extremely generous people in my life. Some of you, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm thinking about some of you in the audience today that just want to give and give and give and give and give and give and keep on giving because of the abundance in your heart that Jesus Christ has 
uh, has created. And, and it makes me think, when I, whenever I see someone like that, that lives with this kind of generosity, that lives in repentance in this way, it makes me look at that person and say, something has happened to them. <laughs> something supernatural is going on within their life. They're different than most people. And that's what it looks like to live in repentance. It's giving away of yourself to bless others because you have been given an abundance in Jesus Christ. Now John goes on to say, there's a second group that comes to him in verse 12 of Luke chapter 3. Look with me there, verse 12. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Now remember that tax collectors in the first century uh, were mostly Jewish people working for the Romans and taxing their own people more than they uh, were required to take. They were essentially stealing from their, their own people. Uh, they're dirty scoundrels. No, no, one, no one liked tax collectors. And they come to John and they have the same question. Uh, same response to his message. What shall we do? What does it mean, John, to live in repentance? How do, we, how do you want us to respond to this message that has pricked our hearts? And John says this, collect no more than you are authorized to do. In other words, stop defrauding people. Stop stealing from people. Stop treating people as pawns to fill your own pockets. In essence, treat people the way that you would want to be treated. Be fair with people. Do justice for your neighbor. The prophet Micah says this in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Living in repentance, living the Christian life of repentance, it means to love and pursue justice for your neighbor, to pursue what's right and what's fair, and what's good for the person sitting beside you and all those in your circle of influence, especially the weak and the vulnerable. If you do a study of Christian history, if you look throughout the centuries at how Christians have behaved and what they have stood for, um, especially the first few centuries after the Lord Jesus Christ lived upon the earth, Christians have been known as champions for the weak, and for the vulnerable, in a Roman kind of culture that would abandon undesirable, ba undesirable babies, babies that they, they didn't want, uh, they, would, they would just throw them out in the cold and abandon them. But Christians were known as the ones that would take them in and adopt them and take care of them and treat them as they would want to be treated. And that's all because they were fully aware, these Christians were fully aware that God had done the same thing to them. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. As sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. 
You know, I think that it's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary way to think about your relationship with God. As we read in Romans chapter 8, you were weak and helpless to save yourself. You were like an abandoned baby thrown out into the cold, unable to... uh, muster up enough strength to save yourself and make and wash all your sins away. Nothing that you could do by your own power, by your own initiative to save yourself. You're like this vulnerable baby left out in the cold to suffer and die. But what did God do? What does God do? God has taken you and, and, and grafted you into his family and adopted you and given you life, and given you healing, and given you restoration, and given you a family. And to live in repentance, to live in this way, it means, it means to have felt this kind of warmth. It means to have felt the warmth of God's kindness in Jesus Christ, leading you to pursue the same kind of justice for the weak and vulnerable that God has displayed to you. That's what repentance looks like in action, loving and pursuing justice for your neighbor, especially your weak neighbor. Now, lastly, in verse 14 of Luke chapter 3, look with me there. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. So here's the last group of people that come to him with the same question, what shall we do? And it's a very unlikely bunch. It's a group of um, most likely Roman soldiers. They ask the same question, what shall we do? And John essentially says uh, something very similar that he said to the tax collectors. He says, stop stealing from people. Stop using your power, your authority, your position to benefit yourself at the expense of another person. What is that? What is that? What's a word that we could use to describe those realities? Meekness. In essence, be meek. Remember what Jesus says about meekness in Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, blessed, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. To be meek is to be gentle. A meek person is one who doesn't use his strength, who doesn't use his power to assert himself over others in order to to further his own cause and his own agenda. But a meek person uses his resources, uses his power, uses his authority, uses everything at his disposal to bless another person, to bless people. And this is exactly the attitude that Jesus Christ has toward us. He is Meek, meek and lowly in heart is he. He doesn't use his power to dominate us and control us and abuse us, but Jesus, he uses his power, the power of God. He uses his power, his mighty power to give us blessing and to live this way, 
to live in repentance, to bear the fruit of repentance, is to have been touched by the meekness of Jesus Christ, leading you to use your power and your resources to bless others as you have been blessed. What does it mean to live in repentance? It means to use the power you've been given to bless other people. Now, these are just three examples of what living in repentance looks like. There are many, many other things. Uh, but John gives us some insight here as what it looks like to live in repentance. But the question that I want all of us, myself included, to ask this morning is this, as, as Brother Burton talked about in the Lord's Supper, as we examine ourselves, what fruit are you producing? What fruit is emanating from your life that's an indication that, that a spiritual transformation of the heart has taken place? What change has come about in your life because of Jesus Christ? What evidence is there in your character and in your actions of, of true, genuine repentance? Are you living in repentance? Or are you living for yourself? The Bible teaches that God desires no one to perish. God doesn't want to cast one soul away from His presence, but for all to spend an eternity in Him under His banner. God doesn't desire anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. But make no mistake about it, church. God will cut down your tree if there's no evidence of true repentance in your life. So very quickly as we close, I want to talk about just, um, I know our time, is, our time is up, but we'll, we'll be very brief. Very quickly, how, uh, here, here's, here's how we can produce more fruits of repentance. I, th I think we see the answer in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says this, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. How do we bear these fruits of repentance in our life? How do we express the gratitude to Jesus Christ of everything that he has done for us? Number one, as the passage says, be humble and examine yourself internally. Pray constantly for God's continued transformation in your life. God wants to transform you. God wants to heal you. God wants you to look like His Son and is working. If you're a Christian, He's working on your behalf to mold you and shape you into His image as you are keeping in step with the Spirit. Pray. Pray that that spiritual transformation may continue and grow and you may experience a greater reality of it in your life. Seek after the things that God desires. Not that your flesh desires, but the things that God desires. And you will bear fruit of repentance. And lastly, hate sin and love what is good. Repentance. It's a way of life. It's the way of a Christian. It's a journey. But this morning, if you haven't begun that journey, that journey of repentance, 
then the invitation is extended to you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, believe that He has come, that He is, that He has died for you, for your sins, and has risen on the third day to give you hope of one day doing the same. Believe in Him. Uh, make a decision right now. Say, I'm going to do things God's way. I'm going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to do a 180 in my life and, 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 and live in this state of continual repentance. You can come forward in a moment and confess with your mouth publicly that Jesus is Lord and you can be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And it's at that point that you begin a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to know the joy that He brings in your life and in eternity. This morning, if anyone has any need, why don't you come forward as we stand and as we sing?